Welcome to the Munch Bunch podcast. This is Kimi Nishimoto, and I'm here with Megan Benoit and our special guest star, Dr. Jesse Whitcock from Colorado Tongue Tie. Dr. Jesse, do you want to introduce yourself? Hi, thanks. Yes, uh, I'm Jesse Whitcoff. I'm a pediatric dentist, and I've been, well, I did pediatric dentistry for about 25 years, and I've been doing tongue ties now for about eight years. And how did you get um, into tongue ties specifically? Because that's all you're doing now. Right. I sold my pediatric dental practice a year and a half ago and opened up the Colorado Tongue Tie, which is dedicated just to doing the uh, phrenectomies. Um, I had been using a laser for doing cavities for about seven, eight years and found that originally, you know, a while ago when I was doing phrenectomies with a scalpel, um, they were really sore and I couldn't touch them at all for at least a week. And I thought, which is worse, the condition or the cure? Mm. Then as I got the laser, I found that I was able to do these a lot easier. And so then that started, um, had, you know, a mom who had been seeing for a while with her older kids and she pushed me into treating her baby and we saw amazing results. And then I pursued oh, a couple hundred hours by now of continuing education in tongue ties. And when I realized it was more, cause the problem was, that I found is it's not taught in dental school or medical mm-hmm. school. It's not taught in, in specialty, you know, residencies. And the more I got into it, the more it exposed me to how many different things are impacted. Mm-hmm. And it's not just the babies and, uh, and breastfeeding, mm-hmm. but what happens to those who don't uh, get corrected? And then I would see, older ones with feeding problems and then a little bit older as we got into um, speech issues. And then as we start hitting into certainly the adolescents and adults that uh, we're seeing headaches and migraines and TMJ problems that we previously really didn't know much to recommend about. Um, Neck pain. um, And of course the big one that we're seeing now is uh, the impact on breathing and sleep apnea, which Mm -hmm. is huge. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So once I saw that happening, I just, and most people were not treating it and they were just looking the other way. I just, I couldn't anymore. Once I saw the impact and as a sufferer myself, uh, that's when I decided to dedicate my practice and the rest of what I'm doing just to those who have these restrictions. I love it. And you're awesome, too. Uh, just so you guys know, Dr. Jesse did my tongue tie release when I was 29. I'm seven months out, and it has completely changed my life. Um, even, like, the night of my surgery, I stopped grinding my teeth, which is a miracle. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> At what age did you have your tongue tie release, Dr. Jesse? Well, I don't know if I'm going to go into that, but I'll tell you it was two and a half years ago. <laughs> as an adult, as an adult. Yes. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> so it was actually somewhere around 55. Yeah. We won't, we won't, we won't share your secret. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's okay. it was around 55, but that just goes to show that you're never too old. Um, I'd had... like debilitating back pain and neck pain. Mm -hmm. And from the moment I had it released, at least 70% of my neck and back pain were gone. It's amazing. 
Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I think sometimes we kind of forget how like the entire body is connected and it's not like all separate functions and just kind of how, you know, one thing can really impact everything else, whether it's negative or positive. So we, as myofunctional therapists, Dr. Jesse, are so grateful for someone like you to have in our corner when it comes to our patients and just really understanding kind of that piece of the puzzle. So, um, Well, one thing I would say is that there's a lot of confusion about this and Mm -hmm. a lot of um, so the the research is all catching up. It's out there. There's plenty. Mm -hmm. But if you've been told by what I tell my patient, if you've been told by other practitioners, whether they're physicians or dentists or hygienists or speech Mm -hmm. therapists or lactation consultants, that you or your child does not have a tongue tie, it doesn't mean that they don't have a tongue tie. (laughs) And so that's where we'll see a lot of these coming in. It's like, oh, and it was my hygienist who found this for me. And so now we, since it's been restricted for all these years, now it needs retraining. So mm-hmm. that it can function properly, mm-hmm. and that's, that's where you know leads into certainly what you guys do. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, and you know, one of the biggest things about tongue ties, just so kind of everybody knows, is it's not just like you need a team, and that's why we brought Dr. Jesse on today to help. You know, Kimmy and myself. You don't just need one person, one procedure. You know, it's. It's a team that really helps everybody be successful. And that's really kind of leads us into what we're going to talk about today. So, you know, our last podcast episode too, if you haven't had a chance to listen to it, it's all about what a phrenectomy is um, or what a tongue tie is. And then we're leading into what a phrenectomy is today. And we're going to talk about what steps lead up to the phrenectomy. We're going to pick Dr. Jesse's brain endlessly for you guys. We're going to talk about when, if you're the patient, when you'd be ready for that phrenectomy, for that tongue tie release, and then what do you do afterwards? So, you know, that's where we're really going to dive in and kind of pick this apart piece by piece. So, um, Kimmy, do you want to kind of take us off about why myofunctional therapy is important with a phrenectomy? Yes, absolutely. So uh, one of the first steps in, so you realize you have a tongue tie, maybe a hygienist or dentist said something about it, or maybe you found it on yourself. Um, So the first step would be to have a consultation with a malfunctional therapist so we can look at your restriction and then uh, hopefully get started doing some exercises. Uh, the main things that we want to do before is be able to isolate the tongue movement from the Mm -hmm. jaw. So for example, if you were to look in your phone and do a video selfie, if you put your tongue in your cheeks, pushing your tongue in your cheeks, like a, the gumball, um, ideally your jaw wouldn't move. If your jaw moves with your tongue, then that means that your tongue and your jaw have learned to move together as one unit. And we're going to be working on isolating that with therapy. Um, Also, we want to get that tongue stronger in the middle and the back part so it can support your TMJ and stay up out of your throat when you're sleeping. Um, One of the other things is swallow correcting. If there's a tongue tie, sometimes we'll tongue thrust or have um, 
our face muscles have to compensate to help us to swallow. So working on swallow correction, keeping the lips together, doing the nose breathing, and then troubleshooting the nose breathing. Um, we can't just jump right into that surgery as tempting as that sound. It just doesn't mm-hmm. work. You know, it's kind of like learning anything new, right? Like if you were going to go run a marathon, you wouldn't just go run 26 miles and like call it a day. Like you have to prepare, you have to train your muscles, you have to train your body in order for you to be successful. And then you have to learn how to move your body after you start running all those miles, after you start doing those things in order to have that long-term function and have that stability that we're really going for. Because if you just have a phrenectomy, so real quick, a phrenectomy is that tongue tie release, whether it's using some sort of laser or a scalpel and suture or scissors. And we're going to have Dr. Jesse cover that one for us today. He's definitely the expert on that. But whatever it is, whatever procedure we do, it's all about making sure that you're successful and helping you prepare for that success. So, you know, that's where, that's where Kimmy and I start off with the myofunctional therapy. We're kind of the first leg of the baton here. And what we do is we help evaluate you. We help determine what type of tongue tie you have, um, you know, whether it's anterior, posterior, and we help you find a really great provider to go see who knows all about tongue ties, who knows the different types of tongue ties, who knows function, who's somebody like Dr. Jesse um, and really knows it's more than just a clip and snip and we're just going to move on. OK, so that's really kind of the first step in us deciding when you as a patient would be ready for that tongue tie release. And Megan, how do you, when you're doing your therapy, how do you decide when yeah, a patient's a, ready? And how do you guide them? That's a that great process? question. So, you know, myofunctional therapy isn't just about the exercises, right? We do teach exercises just like with physical therapy, but really we're looking at your function. And, you know, I've been doing, I've been doing myofunctional therapy now for a handful of years, as you guys know. So there's been some trial and error of really kind of what the what the sweet spot is for that prep. So um, usually I ha- I see my patients for at least six to eight weeks, having them do the exercises that we decide for function. Um, you have to be able to create a really nice, strong suction into the roof of the mouth. So having your tongue flat up in the roof of your mouth so we can see that string of tissue that we talk about um, underneath your tongue to be ready for the provider to release that. And so we look at how strong your tongue is. We make sure that you're able to fully hold that suction um, as well as working on dissociating the jaw and the floor of the mouth and the other muscles from the tongue, just like Kimmy already touched on. So I do a series of exercises that kind of lead up and build up off of each other based on those functions and based off of those, you know, criteria, that suction, getting the tongue to move separately and really having that muscle control so that we can make our provider's job a little bit easier. So, um, yeah. I have a question for Dr. Yes, Jesse. Yes, please. With that one. Let's do it. 
Yes. So, Dr. Jesse, um, someone who doesn't do myofunctional therapy, what is it like when you get in there to do the release? Like, what are... What do you notice as a provider who's doing the surgery? Well, if you can imagine that, let's say your, um, your shoulder, you know, your arm has been pinned to your body for an extensive period of time, and those muscles haven't been able to work or certainly work properly, and you take that off, what's, those muscles aren't going to know what to do. They're not going to know how to move in a coordinated manner. So one of the things that I need when I'm doing the releases, I need the patient to be able to hold that section up for about two minutes because we need that strength for me to go and be able to identify what I need to release and what I don't. And if they can't do that, then that really complicates it. So now as I'm going in there and trying to figure out what is tight and restricted and what is not, I don't know then because I don't want to cut something or release something that doesn't need to be released. Mm -hmm. But by the same token, I don't want to not release something that should be released. And if there's no strength, it's hard to tell the difference between the different tissues. Yeah. And can, if I jump in here, um, when you're doing the release, the tongue is suctioning up to the roof of the mouth and you have to hold that. And that's how he goes in and identifies the tight mm -hmm. areas. So, that's one of the major parts of myofunctional therapy is getting the tongue strong enough that it can do that because it's exhausting. Yeah, the first I'm sorry. Time. And I know that <laughs> for my release, it was probably like about five to 10 minutes because I was kind of complicated for you. <laughs> <laughs> but it does. We have to, um, there's different ways to do it. And it depends on the knowledge of the provider. That's really more important. The rest are tools. Right. It's knowing, and with uh, certainly, with adults, but even from about three years of age and on, it's different than what we do on infants. On infants, we can release just that uh, tendon-like tissue that we see. But because growth has been restricted, then we have to do a further dissection down. Mm -hmm. And so that's where the difference comes in. And it allows us to, you know, not only be able to identify those tissues, but it also, when you're suctioning up, it moves important things like nerves and uh, blood vessels to the side out of the way so that we don't cut those because that would not be a good thing. Absolutely. Yeah. And so I think you touched on, you guys both touched on a really good point too. So sometimes what we'll see with patients is because they, they really don't have any muscle control and, you know, they do have a lot of these symptoms that we've previously mentioned towards a tongue tie we have to kind of put them through the ringer, kind of put them through the tests to see if we are looking at function and low muscle tone, or if it's the actual, uh, you know, muscle underneath the tongue that's causing that tie, that's causing the tongue to need that freedom and that phrenectomy. So sometimes, Kimmy, what I'll do for patients is I'll put them through a series of exercises that are really hard for tongue-tied people to do. And we'll talk, well, every time we meet, what are your symptoms like? Are you still getting headaches? Do you still feel tension here? Um, you know, are you still clenching or grinding at night? And, you know, nine times out of 10, at least with my patients, I would say we end up going with the phrenectomy because those symptoms haven't gone away. However, we can really tell the difference in that prep and in that muscle control to then make that provider's life easier because the patient can now suction. They can now, you know, 
move their tongue when asked, they can have some of that control for that really successful release. So, you know, Dr. Jesse, you already talked about this a little bit. And so I'd love to kind of like hand over the mic to you on this, but you had talked about really the, you know, there are different tools that you use depending on maybe your experience or depending on the patient or the type of tongue tie. And so we'd love to hear about how you do a phrenectomy surgery, what you do, how do you know when a tongue's fully released? Like what are those tools that you should look for um, or that patients should look for when they're looking for a really good provider? Absolutely. And let me just, before I do that, touch in on one point they mentioned was that you guys do a full assessment. Mm -hmm. And I want to state how important that is because sometimes it may not be that it's a restricted tongue. There may be the, the low muscle tone. There may be nerve mm -hmm. input that that needs it. And once that's corrected, then we actually don't need to have a tongue tie. So if we're just looking at somebody who has restrictive motion and we're saying, okay, then you're tied, then we could be missing a very big piece. So that's, you know, it's very important to rule all of those other things out before we go and start uh, mm -hmm. releasing. Okay, now, as far as the tools, I've done it uh, in my career with a scalpel, I've done it with scissors, I've done it with a diode, which is often confused with a laser, it's not really a laser. And then I've done it with a true laser, uh, the CO2. Um, and again, like I mentioned, it's their tools and it's really the experience of the provider to know uh, which ones work best in their hands. In my experience, the sutures, I mean, I mean, the scalpel, you're cutting across those tissues and across those nerve endings. And those, they're going to tend to be much more sore afterwards. Mm -hmm. Now, with a, for some reason with scissors, one can do a fine job. And I just haven't found anybody out here that does. Um, I have observed there's a guy in Israel who's done 15 or 20,000 and does a beautiful job. And then also I've seen uh, others like on the West Coast in California who also does this and does a fine job. Um, but once we get into using lasers, it's whatever is more comfortable. I personally like the, uh, the CO2 laser. I used a diode and People will often equate that with being laser, but it's really not. It's a glass rod that uses a single wavelength. So that's why they're calling it a laser, but it's all by contact. And the idea is you pulse that energy on and off fast enough so that the tissue has a chance to absorb the heat before uh, it becomes thermally damaged or burned. Now I will say in the several years that I did it that way, we can never really get that. I don't care how much, um, how slow one goes. And of course, those take much longer. It can take a minute to two minutes per release with doing it that way. And you still got some thermal damage. You still had some burn. And so they were certainly more comfortable. The carbon dioxide laser, the CO2 laser is the, um, it's the gold standard. It's, it's where it's at. It truly is designed for soft tissue. It vaporizes that tissue. Mm -hmm. So there's no burn at all. And uh, then we can be very precise and release exactly what we need to do. So first we do is we open and we release it to that diamond, which did you guys cover that in your previous? No. Let's just... We haven't talked much about the phrenectomy yet. Just mm -hmm. said that it was an option. Yep. So go for it, okay. please. <laughs> 
Okay, so many people go in with uh, the common thing I see, especially with scissors, is going in and releasing uh, the web tissue in front of the actual frenum. It's like the sail on a boat. That sail portion has no nerves or blood vessels. You can easily go in there and clip those, and the tongue then has much more movement. But it doesn't necessarily have movement in the right way. It, it's still held down in the back, so it can't elevate. So it's still like there's the mast of the sailboat that's mm. there. And that's what we have to release. And by the same token, just because you don't see the sail doesn't mean there's not a mast underlying there. And that's what we look for. That's what's commonly called the typical posterior ties. So when doing a release, you must get that diamond shape, which means you have released that tendon-like stalk. And then once you have that, you then now have to go down in layers and separate the uh, fascia as it's tied into the tongue or you're going to have a, a compromised result. You have to dissect it down. And there are, in some cases, where you actually have to remove some muscle um, that's being trapped and it's being overly restrictive. Yeah, that's a great explanation. Um, and then once, now on babies, like once we release that tendon-like tissue, you get that diamond-shaped womb, nothing else needs to be done. But when you're going deeper and releasing further, it's highly recommended that you place sutures. I know there are some people who feel yes, some people no. I've done it both ways. And I think you get a much better healing when you place your sutures. Mm -hmm. And why is that, Dr. Jesse? We're otherwise leaving this big, wide open, gaping wound to start filling in. And you're going to fill in with more granulation tissue and the higher uh, percentage chance that you're going to get some scar mm -hmm. tissue and scar tissue is our enemy. And that's one of the nice things about using the CO2 laser is it does not cause any scarring. And so it, you really get the best healing and then you're left with the greatest amount of length and for function. If you get scarring down, which we see if they're not doing the stretches properly mm -hmm. or if they're using mm -hmm. a diode laser and there's mm -hmm. burn like that, that scar tissue is going to cause contraction. It's going to become a thick band of tissue, almost similar to like the, the frenum. And it's going to restrict how much movement mm -hmm. we get. Yeah. And I've seen that. So, you know, from a personal perspective of working with patients, you know, it's been almost five years since I've seen patients in all different types of phrenectomy. And I feel like it's like even the past five years, there's been a huge kind of swing and shift in, you know, the types like you're saying with the CO2 laser or even the scalpel sutures versus the diode. Um, and scar tissue has been one of the biggest challenges that I have really seen for a lot of my phrenectomy patients. And so um, I love that about the CO2 laser and what you're sharing about that is because um, I've really noticed a huge difference in my patients who get a lot of scar tissue and kind of go through that challenge versus my patients who don't. Absolutely. And there's one other um, laser type to talk about. Those are the erbium. Hmm. And erbium are great for hard tissue. They're not as good as on soft tissue. The, the big problem with them is they don't stop the bleeding, which is like the CO2 
excuse me, like the CO2 laser does. So you have a clean field. You have blood leaking in there, and it's very hard to tell what you need to do and what you don't need to. So while the erbium is good for doing soft tissue procedures, it's, this is not a, a procedure that it's really designed for because of the amount of blood that's, uh, that can be in the area. And then that really compromises your ability to see what you need to release and what you don't. And Dr. Jesse, I've heard uh, mixed things about this other thing that people are using right now. I believe it's called the bovine. A bovine. Yeah. Okay. Can you explain that and pros and cons of that? Sure. One? A bovine is basically electrocautery. And it was what we had for many years. Um, let's say, you know, from the 40s and 50s and 60s. It's that electrical energy, and you're going with a similar idea as the. Um, as the diode, but much more, um, um, what's what I'm looking for? Just, um, it's not, yeah, Phonetic. much more traumatic and not as, not as much finesse. It's going to basically, it, you're basically burning the tissue at mm. that point. There, it's just constant electrical energy that's, that's going in your, when you burn, you're going to get a scar. The diode at least pulses mm. it on and off and if you go slow enough and that's the hardest thing you can get a much better result but a lot of people don't want to take that time and they want it to go faster and so as you turn the the power up then you get a similar effect you get just basically that electrical energy going through and just uh causing that scarring and when you're doing stretches on a baby or on yourself you do not want scar mm -hmm. tissue because it yeah. hurts and burned, and if you can imagine when you get a burn, even a mm -hmm. sunburn, and you and you start manipulating that Oof. tissue and moving it around, that hurts. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And you always swear you're going to do sunscreen next time. <laughs> <laughs> awesome, good. Okay, that that was so great. I think that was probably better than Kimmy and I could probably ever explain those things. So we're so grateful that you were here with us today. Um, you know, I feel like you really were able to touch on a lot of the pros and the cons and the just different types of tools that you can use. And I always think it's so important, just like you've shared, and I just feel like we can't emphasize this enough. It's all about the provider and their knowledge and their you know, experience with phrenectomies and really kind of finding, finding the right fit, finding the right person uh, for really the biggest success. So, um, I feel like that's even more than anything. And that's kind of where your myofunctional therapist comes in as like, again, kind of as the, the quarterback of the team and helping lead those, uh, you know, lead those patients to the right people. So, and you are definitely the right people. <laughs> and I don't feel like it. Well, thank you. I don't feel like it's disloyal to go to a different provider to have your tongue tie released. Like, I don't feel like you need to feel guilty that you didn't see your dentist for that. Mm -hmm. That may not be their specialty. Someone like Dr. Jesse, who specializes in tongue and lip tie releases, that is a perfectly valid person. Just like you wouldn't go to just your dentist for a complicated mm -hmm. root canal. You'd go yeah. see an endodontist. It's okay to not mm -hmm. see your general dentist for this. And it's okay, it's okay to okay ask to different people their opinions too. It's okay to see more than one person and see who maybe is a good fit and see maybe, you know, who would be, um, you know, somebody that you're really comfortable with because 
it's it's a big deal. It's not a small thing, and you need to feel comfortable with your provider. Absolutely. I mean, some of the, I guess the ways, now that I've done it pretty much every different way, the first thing that I would look for in a provider is somebody who uses the CO2 laser. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause I think you'll get the best. And then you can ask the questions beyond yeah. there. How many have you mm-hmm. done? Um, how much continuing education mm-hmm. do you have in this area? Um, those are I would say important questions to know. You don't want somebody who's doing their first or second or 10th or even a hundredth phrenectomy ideally, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, because there is a learning curve and understanding that it's not a release that's done like on a baby, right. that you have to go for a much further um, dissection. Do they place sutures? Those are all clues on how, much experience and how competent the provider is. But the bottom line. I have a question for you on that, Dr. Jesse. So you just said uh, CO2 laser, as well as like if they need to go deeper to do sutures. So they could do both. Cause I know when you did mine, they, you did the CO2 laser as well as um, put in sutures. Yeah. So it's really, it's not the tool necessary that requires the sutures, but the procedure. Mm -hmm. If you've done just Mm -hmm. something, let's say you even did a scalpel on an infant and you took it down to where you've released that, you wouldn't suture that. But once you're having to go down deeper and to pull that some of that muscle and fascia away from the tongue, you have a much wider opening Mm -hmm. and more prone to the scar tissue. So that's why you would use the sutures. Mm-hmm. Great point. Thank you. So what should someone expect the week of their phrenectomy? That's a good question. And it will differ on infants versus children versus adults. Um, the biggest thing that I find, uh, the biggest variable is the, the person's own pain threshold. Um, I myself have a low pain threshold and practically need general anesthesia to have a splinter <laughs> removed. And then I have some moms that we come in and talk about doing it. And I'd say we were worried about pain control. And they're like, I had natural childbirth. I'm not worried. And they do fine. (laughs) So what I would say for the most part for children and uh, adults is with taking the ibuprofen and the Tylenol, that's going to do a phenomenal job in reducing any of your pain. Um, With many of the, of those will also prescribe a little stronger uh, prescription pain medicine for the, to cover for the first 24 hours because that's usually going to be the hardest mm-hmm. point. And then after that, and some would argue maybe even just the first 12 hours, but then after that, alternating the ibuprofen and Tylenol seems to do a great job. Now, one advantage of, again, of going to the sutures is that it's going to minimize the amount of scarring and and, um, retraction that we're going to get. And the exercises, the sutures we use are dissolvable. So you don't want to stretch too hard in that first week while they're in place because you don't want to tear them. So that's another thing that makes it easier is the stretches in that first week when you tend to be a little more sore are much more gentle. And then, yeah, so that's another reason why I like those as well. But, I would say that 
we also prescribe a topical anesthetic to help with that because you still will be sore. <laughs> that was yeah. Very the helpful. first two weeks or so, um, it's going to be sore as you're trying to do those, and it's going to be um, very difficult, right. I would think, to be able to do your myofunctional therapy and your post-surgery uh, stretches mm -hmm. adequately. So applying that topical anesthetic makes a huge difference. And so for the majority of what I see in adolescents and adults, if they're using that is they say, wow, this is much easier than I thought it was going to be. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would agree. One, re one regret that I have is I didn't do the lidocaine gel every time I did my stretches. <laughs> I was like, I'm a big girl. I'm a myofunctional therapist. I could do it. And I was maybe a little too extra about it. I wish I had just put the gel on, done my stretches so I could do it deeper because I definitely yeah. was babying it when I stretched mm -hmm. yeah. and did exercises. Yeah, there, absolutely. And of course, you know, like I said, I have that low pain threshold. So there was no question. I used it for about two and a half weeks before I didn't need it anymore. Yeah. I mean, I've had some patients who have come, uh, you know, into their post-op session, you know, as a therapist, we like to see patients either, you know, within kind of 24 hours of their release if possible. And I've had some patients who look like they've had like the deepest, biggest, like craziest release I've ever seen. And they're like, yeah, it's not that bad. And I'm like, it's not, are you sure? And then I, you know, the next day I see a patient who had look, looks like just the smallest, you know, tiniest, like two sutures. It like, didn't seem like it was that intense. And they'll tell me that they've never had pain so much. So it, it really does everybody so so different with that. So that's always a hard question for me to answer with patients. And I really, I do end up telling them like, well, it kind of depends on your pain, like pain tolerance, really. Yeah, that's majority. And then also it goes back to what a tool did right. they use? Did they use a scalpel? Did they use that mm -hmm. diode? Cause you are going to get burned right. with those and you're definitely going to have much mm -hmm. more pain. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, so that's kind of what to expect within that kind of first week or two. And, you know, your, your provider who did the release for you, they're going to check in with you. They're going to do your post-op, whether if, you know, if you're driving from far, they may meet you online or they may ask you to send pictures um, or they may have you come in the office to make sure everything's good. And then your myofunctional therapist is going to come up right alongside you and continue to kind of like move everything forward. So you know, really the steps leading up to the phrenectomy and then continuing on, if I had to break it down really just like in small steps, it would be A, figure out if you actually have a tongue tie or not, first step, and, <laughs> and make sure it's not just, you know, low, you know, low muscle tone, and it's actually that tied tissue. And then finding your right provider, doing the prep exercises, actually going through the release itself. And then you have to rehab the, the tongue after it comes out of this procedure. So we've got really specific post-op exercises that we give you. And then from there, we teach you how to use basically this new tongue that you didn't have before. So all of a sudden your tongue can do things, you know, that it wasn't able to do prior to this because it was restricted um, and kind of anchored low into the mouth. So we really pick back up on those four goals of therapy to help you be successful to then meet those four goals of nasal breathing, lip seal, 
that correct tongue posture. So that middle and that back gets up, not just the tip. And then those correct swallows. So we really tie everything together to make you be successful long-term. Absolutely. Very well put. Dr. Jesse, what are the most frequently asked questions or like patient complaints um, after the phrenectomy? I'd say the biggest one that I hear is that I hear is why didn't somebody find this earlier? Absolutely. Yeah, that one kills me. That's my goal in life, to tell everyone about tongue ties. Same here. We're all in the same boat on that. We're all tongue-tied or former (laughs) tongue-tied. So. We should. We can have a parade, a Denver parade. (laughs) And so, yeah, it's interesting, just aside, that we talked a little bit about the sleep apnea. Mm -hmm. I'll just throw this out there. The estimate is 80% of the amount of sleep apnea out there and tongue ties is undiagnosed. Oh, yes. And mm-hmm. so um, that's an aside. So a lot of right. times, you know, people just assume what, what they have is normal. Mm-hmm. And um, so mm-hmm. that's why I always encourage you to do your research and look into this mm-hmm. more. Um, it's well, and how many percentage of those pe- people that have sleep apnea have tongue tie? In my mm-hmm. chair, when I'm seeing patients in the hygiene chair and I'm asking about sleep, mm-hmm. almost all of them have tongue tie too. Of yeah, some it's, sort. We're, the information is starting to get out there, but it's going to take a long time. Mm-hmm. I saw a TED talk that said it takes about 20 to 25 years to get a change in medicine or dentistry. Wow. So. Um, we just have to keep doing the fight, but that's why you certainly as a patient, you have to be your own advocate and not just for this, but really for for anything anything. that's going on out there. Mm -hmm. That's so true. That's so true. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Dr. Jesse. You know, what I kind of want to do is take these last couple of minutes just to kind of give people a little bit of just guidance on like, okay, you know, where do, where do I go from here? And, you know, it's, we keep coming back to the same things, but that's because they're important. So, you know, if, you know, if you're listening out there and you're like, Hey, I have sleep apnea, I'm a mouth breather. My head hurts all the time. I've got jaw pain. I clench and I grind, you know, the list, listen to our first episode, the list goes on forever. Um, (laughs) And, you know, you know, do your research, but also try to find somebody who is experienced and knows what they're talking about as a, whether it's my functional therapist, whether it's a dentist, whether it is um, like an ear, nose and throat doctor who does tongue tie releases. It's so easy to go down rabbit holes, you know, Facebook groups that, you know, a lot of people, well-intentioned people give a lot of advice. Um, But really it's important to first find a healthcare team that you can trust and that you feel comfortable with. Um, then, you know, once you find your team, then getting evaluated and, you know, deciding that you're ready to go through this process, then you do the prep work, get the phrenectomy, do the post-op and then kind of move, move forward from there. And also know that like your health team is always on your side, no matter how long it's been since your phrenectomy, no matter how long, you know, you've been done with therapy you know, the right healthcare team never disappears on you. And like, we're always here for you from the beginning to the end. 
And if you've had a release and you didn't do myofunctional therapy and you had relapse, um, the tongue reattached, and you know you need to get another one, you can always start Absolutely. Over. Isn't that right, mm-hmm. Dr. Jesse? Absolutely. And um, Or whether it was done and maybe it was incomplete. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you can always mm-hmm. pick it up and, and move on from from wherever mm-hmm. you are. And, you know, it's also kind of Dr. Jesse touched on this at the beginning. It's never too late. You're never too old, honestly, for pretty much almost anything. You know, like you're never too old to feel better. You're never too old to work on your health. You're never too old to like make a difference. So, you know, don't ever let that be a factor in whether or not you want to pursue something like this. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. The so far, the oldest patient that I've worked on and released was 72 years old. I love it. And just what wow. a change in her mm-hmm. life. Yeah, absolutely. I've had. Yes, you was. Was she grateful she now, did it? I mean, she has a lot of problems for after all these years. So it's only one mm-hmm. step in her whole recovery. Right. But she felt a huge uh, change from that alone. Mm-hmm. And now I, she, she's going to hit on the other pieces. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Awesome. We have a mind belt. I was just about to ask you what Yeah, yeah. I've seen, I've seen patients for therapy in their 60s, uh, you know, because, again, you know, there's still, like, a lot of life to live, and you want to live it well. And, you know, whether you find out in your teens, baby, or, you know, deep into adulthood, you can always, you can always find ways to feel better. Absolutely. Yeah. Perfect. Well, I know one of the last things that we wanted to do is just plug yeah, in some, some good yeah. doctors that you know, are good providers. Yeah. Um, so we had, we have, of course, our lovely Dr. Jesse Whitcoff. He's mm-hmm. at coloradotongtie.com. Boop, boop. Um, located in Denver, Colorado. Um, we also have Dr. Liz mm-hmm. Turner in Cherry Creek, Colorado. Um, she is willing to do tongue tie releases on infants as well as adults. Um, Megan, you yeah, can put we want to kind of give you guys some geographical Barry people. Raphael. So you know, obviously we're online, um, but you know, Dr. Raphael's up in New Jersey. He's uh, a pretty pretty well known guy. He also does a lot of. Uh, Orthodon- airway orthodontic too. And so he's a good resource kind of in that Northeast um, section of the U.S. Absolutely. I would say also in the Northeast because mm-hmm. that is a, it's a yeah. big area uh, to cover. But uh, I know Dr. Lenny Kundell. Yes. Mm-hmm. He was um, also on our he list. He is a great. <laughs> yeah. And uh, Scott yep. Siegel, mm-hmm. who's an oral surgeon, um, both in Manhattan and on Long mm-hmm. Island. Yeah. I love it. Wonderful. Um, then there's also Dr. Richard Baxter. Alabama. Um, Colorado. Mm-hmm. What is it? Uh, Alabama mm-hmm. tongue tie. Alabama tongue tie. Um, and then we have so Dr. Sarish Zaghi out in LA. Yeah. He's, uh, he's oh, one of the, Dr. you know, Zoggy. he's like Dr. Whitcoff. He's one of the leading guys right now. Um, and he does a lot of training and mentoring of, uh, you know, airway teams, not just, um, surgeons or you know dentists providing phrenectomies but uh you know that idea of having that airway team that we've talked about so 
he's got a lot of great uh, resources as well, as well as a map of people um, all over the world who have been working to train more in the airway and the kind of tongue tie world. So they have the the breathe ambassador page oh. that I checked today. It's not up and running. So mm-hmm. yeah, just check in um, on that every now. But and you then. know, there's there's advocates everywhere, and you know, it's again, it's doing a little research, finding the right people to connect you. I mean, you know, personally, since you guys know, I see patients online. I have found providers in Israel. I've found providers in um, the UK, uh, the uh, Norway, Germany. You know, there, there's people all over the world doing a lot of great things. And so just starting to do your research and knowing kind of what questions to ask is a great, a great start. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Dr. Whitcock. Yes, really of course. really appreciate you. And thanks, Megan. Oh, you're very welcome. My pleasure. Have a nice day, y'all. <laughs>